0: So we're on part two of It's All About Jesus, uh, and this one is called His Power. Last week we looked at His, uh, his example, um, and now it's His Power. So um, this week we look at four fundamental aspects of Jesus uh, that speak of His power and how that power is displayed in four particular ways. Um, today we'll learn how the power of His resurrection, that's, that's one of them, How his grace, the power of his grace, the power of his spirit, the power of his love all prepare us for the power of what he has preserved for us in eternity in heaven. Knowing Jesus and the power that he displayed through his teaching and on the cross, I think and I believe is vital for Christians to continue in hope as we endure uh, this life and this world. The power of this hope. Is to be a continued encouragement for both the days ahead and for what is to come in the last days. It is especially uh, as these days will get tougher that we need to know that Jesus has conquered evil through His power, uh, and I want to share that with you today. Um, this does have some relevance. Uh, we um, had look. We were watching something on Charles Spurgeon this morning. A really good video. Um, uh, they're the uh, remnant radio uh, if you've ever heard of them in the u s uh, really uh, good guys that just absolutely get into the word really look at what the word means. They interview all sorts of people across the spectrum of christianity uh, they don't they're not biased they actually really make they're trying to look at what their core beliefs are and then they challenge them they question them uh, openly and in grace and love uh, but this one they did one about um Charles Spurgeon, and it's relevant because uh, the, we're talking about Jesus' power to save, effectively. Um, but they said uh, there's actually there was a, almost a secret ministry of Charles Spurgeon, in the secret ministry of healing. Uh, and the way he did it, if you, if you hear this, listen to it, it's quite amazing. I think it even probably embarrasses some of the, the way that we probably do these healing ministries today. Uh, we've only really found out about Um, Charles Spurgeon Healing Ministry because someone decided to do some research Uh, and that's the way Healing Ministry should be about it shouldn't be about glorifying the person doing it it should be about glorifying Jesus irrespective of whether that person becomes famous in the world or not Um, and what we found is that Charles Spurgeon rooted himself in the word first and foremost in the gospel and he went around not not pushing people over not Not rolling around the ground or whatever you want to call it, he simply was by bedsides, he visited people and he simply prayed for healing and There are actual records proper full records of him, his prayers that when God healed those people, people on their deathbed, people about to die from fevers uh, and and it's simply amazing to see this very humble man not in the time certainly not not uh, glorify himself in it uh, and, and I, want, I wanted to sort of share that with you because that's what we're looking at today is the power of of God that he is unlimited in his power uh, but he uses us and we should be humble in that power also and I'll come on to the the spirit and, and what that means uh, but first of all uh, let's look at the power of his resurrection and that's the first subject we're looking at here today um, we're starting with one of the most contested I would say parts of Jesus's life Many people have trouble accepting that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, They can believe he died. They can believe that he was on a cross. They can see uh, in the facts of the Bible. Even they may accept the historical account in the Bible of that happening. For some reason, they don't believe the rest of it. For some reason, the historical account seems to end for them. And they switch, some people switch into this mode where they think actually they were just seeing things. Uh, I don't know how it works, but I'm, I'm telling you now that if there's a hallucination going on, every single person who Jesus encountered after his resurrection has to have the same hallucination. And it, it's not possible. It's just not possible. Uh, everyone had a different experience with Jesus after his resurrection. So it wasn't even the same experience. They had different conversations with Jesus than with others Uh, and so this is the most contested part I would say of people getting to believe to say no I'm going to believe in Jesus the resurrection is a very difficult part but let's look at the verse that we're going to look at for this Uh, Philippians 3 verse 10 to 11 says I want to know Christ yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I will tell you that coincidentally, I've probably got about three Spurgeon quotes today, okay? That's just a coincidence. It all just came together. We saw something this morning that, I didn't just throw them in there because suddenly I saw Spurgeon, about Spurgeon. But I'll give you that warning now. But anyway, back to this verse. To understand the power of this resurrection, Paul says here that he wants to know, he wants to know, christ as a whole first i want to know christ and this is very in, in a particular way these these verses have been put in a very particular way i want to know christ the next part of this section then describes what makes up knowing christ does that make sense i want to know christ how do i know christ what's the parts of christ i need to know yes to know the power of His resurrection and participation in his sufferings Becoming like him in his death. To know Jesus is not the same as knowing his historical life. As I said before, it's very easy to treat the Bible as just an historical account until, of course, you get to the miracles. And then people come up with all sorts of excuses as to why they wouldn't have happened or didn't happen or they were a trick of the hand or the eye or whatever you want to call it. Uh, People seem to have a block when it comes to that. But it's not. So it's not the same. It's not enough just to know him historically. It is not the same as knowing correct doctrines regarding Jesus. It's not enough just to know doctrines. It's not the same as knowing his moral example. Even. It's not the same as knowing his great work on our behalf. These days, to know someone apparently, is all it takes is to follow them on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. And apparently we're friends. I don't even know these people. I've, I've noticed this before uh, when I've f- m- actually made friends on Facebook with people I already know. Uh, suddenly those people that know that person want to friend me. And I don't friend them. Not because I, I don't like them. I'm saying, I don't know you. And we're not friends because I'm friends with someone else that you know. We're just, I, I, I've never even met you. But today that's what we encounter. That's what we see. We're so-called friends. We might even say we know someone because we might even regularly pass them in the street. We might know, we, th- we might think we know, a shop owner or a worker because they happen to work there. We can say that we might know someone because we actually converse with them. We're in speaking terms with that person. We've. We have a, a semi regular conversation. We might even say we know someone because we spend time in their house and with their family. Yet, that's not enough. Not for Jesus, anyway. There's a way of knowing Jesus that includes some of these, but yet goes beyond them. It is more than just knowing that Jesus exists. Here's our first Spurgeon quote. I knew it was going to do that. Oh, yes, thank you. It's a little bit playing up today, so just bear with me. uh, as It's gone way too far now. (laughs) Okay, right, here it is. They tell me, he says, that he is king and that he reigns over sin. He hath subdued my enemies beneath his feet, and I know him in that character. They tell me he is a shepherd. I know him for I am his sheep. They say he is a door. I've entered in through him and I know him as a door. They say he is food. My spirit feeds on him as on the bread of heaven. And therefore I know him as such. To begin to understand the power of the resurrection is to accept that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Knowing Jesus means knowing his power, the new life that is imparted to us now, not only when we die. The power of the resurrection is firstly evidence and therefore truth about everything that Jesus did. It is then a power that justified us by a proof that the sacrifice on the cross was accepted and was sufficient to pay the price of sin for all people, for all time. Because of that, it gives us gives those that believe in Jesus that same power to be resurrected. Resurrected into eternity, into a new life, to live now. But the power of the resurrection is a guarantee that we live and will live in Christ forevermore that promise should be encouraging and comforting. It should also be scary that some people will not accept that truth. It should also worry us that people will not accept the gift of eternal life, will not accept a resurrection of a new life. But to know the power of the resurrection means to know the suffering as it says in our verses. The suffering in getting there. That we will also participate in his suffering. To know the power of the resurrection, we must know that we have been, what we have been resurrected from. Romans eight seventeen. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Uh, How many times is this mentioned throughout the Bible? All those things must go together. Those things, especially suffering and glory, must happen together. So as Christ suffered, we also suffer for his glory. Some of you might think that Paul is a little bit fascinated with uh, with a bit of morbidness. He talks sometimes to the degree that it feels a little bit morbid, a little bit negative, a little bit depressing. But that's not what he's obsessed about. He's not obsessed with with death and negativity. Paul wants the righteousness of God, he says. And he wants to obtain, as as we read about him, He wants to obtain a personal personal relationship with Jesus. Not just in eternity, but in the day to day. This knowledge of Christ is obtained by experiencing in daily problems. We may compare our life even to Paul and think, many of us don't have it that hard. But we may have it hard in a different way. We're not imprisoned, we're not chained, we're not being punished for our belief in that sense. But he wanted to obtain uh, this um, experience of knowing Jesus in his daily problems, his needs, his ministry and everything else he did. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So knowing Christ also entails participating in his sufferings. We saw that Paul on the road to Damascus had his eyes opened and his understanding complete. And he could clearly see the Lord Jesus. So to know him is to believe in him. Paul thought it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. And the reason why that is is because he no longer looks at this shell. He no longer looks at the the things of the world to satisfy him that's not enough that's not going to do anything when i leave this place but it is a privilege that whatever happens to him whatever comes at him he knows that he is saved by jesus be able to share in his resurrection we must share in his death it is simply not enough to just know Jesus we must know Jesus we must know his suffering we must embrace what that meant for us we must know that his salvation on the cross was more than an example of a good moral man So the flesh must die for the spirit to live. And Jesus is the quickening spirit which makes all believers alive. So to know him, as I've said often, is to choose him. To choose him is to know him. John 5, 28-29. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned Jesus is not playing games he's not here for our feeling good he's here and has been here and continues to be present for our salvation the power of the resurrection not only will see us through this life but into the next raised with Jesus only if we truly believe we have been saved in the power of his resurrection. The resurrection is a fundamental part of accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So I encourage you on this particular subject, this point, when you are faced with people who do not believe it, I can only say, don't argue with them. (laughs) Pray for them, help them, understand, and everything is in God's hands. We uh, one of the things that we were that certainly comes to mind. I've already al- always believed this, but it is true that it is very difficult for even for many Christians, generally any people, to accept that when we pray for things, when we want God to do something, when we put our request to Him, it is always difficult to add at the end but in his will. That's incredibly difficult for many people. And yet, when we submit our lives to Christ, as Christians, we're saying, I give my life to Christ. That is what we're doing. We're saying, in your will, whatever you will do is good and right. And we're struggling with that. Christians, even Christians, are struggling with that concept. It's great to pray for healing. And I'll do it all the more but it will always have at the end, all but in the will of God. And in that, I think we should move on to our next subject, the power of his grace. Grace is a uh, more almost invisible aspect of his power. Uh, It operates right now as we sit in this room. Grace is running and operating. It is working. Know how I know that? Because we're not in hell right now. It's a very simple test. Are we in hell? No. Grace is done. There's no theological aspect to worry about here. Grace is operating right now in our presence. This is the one we rightly talk about and should talk about a lot. Everything we do is only by his grace. Everything that is done is only because it is allowed by his grace. Grace operates now so that even in the worst of mankind, they still have the time, the opportunity to come and be saved. For people to come to know Jesus, uh, for us to know the power of his grace, it requires two things. That God's grace is sufficient, that we accept that grace is enough, and that we must come in weakness to him for his power of grace to be made perfect in us. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 to 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships, persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm sure that we've had many times in our lives where we've pleaded with the Lord to take away those very things that Paul talks about. The hardships, the the difficulties, the insults, even to an extreme degree, the persecutions. And for me, this is where I think our faith is really tested. What Paul says here is that the removal of those hardships And difficulties is not the key to knowing the grace of God and his power. It's not the key to knowing that. Even Jesus said, I don't ask them to be taken as I'm being taken now, but to stay. Jesus was not selling us something else. He was was telling us, when you follow me, things ain't going to go very well in this place because they're not going to like you. The world is going to hate the truth that you stand for. Paul was desperate in his desire to be relieved of this burden. But there are two ways of taking away this burden. Firstly, it can be done by removing the load. And in fact, we, we quote this quite often, don't we? We talk about... Uh, when Jesus takes the weight he 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 doesn't give us more than we can bear even but that's not what those verses talk about when when we take the weight as it says when we uh it references an ox when we're carrying that load what Jesus actually does he doesn't take it away strengthens our shoulder and bears the load it's trying what I'm trying to get over is that uh we need, to not, we need to be careful in when we say Jesus can take away pain, he can take away and he can heal. But there are times when he won't do that because it's in his will to not do that. And he does that on purpose. But what he'll do instead is to strengthen our shoulders, is to give us strength to carry that burden. Instead of taking away the thorn as we read here about Paul, God would strengthen Paul under it. God would show his strength through Paul's weaknesses. What Paul tells us is that to know the sufficiency of God's grace, we must know that we are insufficient. We must know that we are not capable of taking it on our own. Here is your second Spurgeon quote for the morning. Great tribulation brings out the great strength of God. If you never feel inward conflicts and sinking of soul, you do not know much of the upholding power of God. This is just bang, like absolute truth. Spurgeon speaks all the time. Here, Here is encouragement. If you feel inward conflicts and sinking of soul, that's how you're meant to feel. When we see the world around us, does your soul not sink? Does your heart not feel in pain? That is a taster of what God has taken for us, of what Jesus has done on the cross. He continues, but if you go down, down into the depths of soul anguish, to the deep, threatens to shut her mouth upon you, and then the Lord rides upon the cherub, and does fly, ye rides upon the wings of the wind, and delivers your soul and catches you away to a third, to the third heaven of delight. Then you perceive the majesty of divine grace. Oh, there must be the weakness of man felt, recognized, mourned over or else the strength of the Son of God will never be perfected in us. We must know constantly the weakness of mankind. Otherwise we'll never know the perfecting work of Jesus Christ in us. Mourn over, to mourn over. We mourn over what we have been through ourselves before we came to Christ. It's always a reminder that he's present of what we've done before to dishonor, to be an enemy of him. As Christians, we mourn over the brokenness of the world. We mourn over our own sin, Because in that is a perfecting work of Jesus Christ doing the work right now. For Paul, grace could meet Paul's need because it expresses God's acceptance and pleasure in us. Grace could meet Paul's need because it was available all the time. See what I'm saying? When we're saying grace is operating right now, it's available to you right now. It operates for every single person. Those who don't even believe, grace is operating to hold things together to a degree that people can come to Jesus and believe. But there will be a time when God will remove that grace and the the world and the universe will feel the utter 100% effects of sinful brokenness in the world. And lo and behold, that is when Jesus comes back. But my goodness, if you think it's bad now, when God removes grace and sends back Jesus, this world will be on fire. It will be at war with one another. Trying to tell you, explain to you in words, which is really difficult, the power of grace and what it's doing right now. It's holding enough that we can still be here right now and not be in hell. It prepares us for the day that he will return. So to know the power of grace is not only to experience the physical and material hardships and difficulties of this world, but to know that deep within every human being is the reason for those hardships. Sin of the heart. Our actions towards one another in sinfulness has consequence. Not only to our salvation, but to each other, In this broken world today caused by us broken people this is why the Bible certainly after Jesus ascended is utterly full of encouragement and warnings about how we must behave in terms of being Jesus like people there is enough enough in this book of the Bible to know Lord how do we do this how do we be church how do we be more like you There's a whole book written on it. John 3, verse 30 to 36. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth, belongs to the earth, and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. Just in that one verse, 33, is grace upon grace upon grace. How is it that God says whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful? He doesn't have to do that, by the way. But he's saying within that person, if you accept Jesus Christ, you're a saying that God is truthful to everyone else, to yourself and to everyone you will meet. It is true. Verse 34, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. I'm going to come on to that. 35, the father loves the son has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. In particular, very final verses. Believe in this is what happens, don't believe, this is what happens. And so in those verses, let's move to this next point, the power of his spirit and love. Uh, I want to tell you that um, something occurred to me, and I can't remember, what I can't remember, is whether I said this last week. Uh, I don't think I did, I thought about it this week, I think. I don't think I said it last week. Uh, but the power of spirit and love. But I'm particularly, I want to just, before I get into this point, it's just, it's just tell you the purpose of the Holy Spirit, how we should treat the Holy Spirit before we get into this. My fear is that the Holy Spirit as the comforter and helper, which is right, my worry, certainly within us as, as Christians generally, not just us, we can fall to this, everyone can fall to this, my worry is that sometimes the Holy Spirit is treated not like God because he is God but he's treated as a remedy as a thing to make us better feel better let me say Uh, and we call on and I see all this uh, quite a lot we call on the Holy Spirit sometimes not not here I'm talking about really extreme circumstances certainly in, in maybe some healing ministries we call on the Holy Spirit Like he is at our beck and call. Let me get one thing in, say this right. He is God. How you treat the Holy Spirit is how you treat Jesus, is how you treat the Father. The Holy Spirit is God. He is he is not our it's time to do some magic. It's time to do some things with people. And Holy Spirit, you do this now, and you do this now. Someone's at the door. Yeah, if you could go and check. I don't know why someone's ringing the doorbell. (laughs) I think it's that side. I think it's that side, Daniel. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I might be wrong. Sorry, sometimes the... uh, the doorbell picks up someone else's doorbell across the street and starts ringing the doorbell. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, if not, it's over the other side. And if not, it's a neighbor's doorbell. <laughs> um, let me go back to this point. The Holy Spirit is not someone we, we, we control because we, we can give commands and direction and the Holy Spirit will go, yeah, let me just follow what you do. The Holy Spirit will do what he needs to do. And I think what we sometimes miss is there's a reverence to the Holy Spirit equal to reverence we give to Jesus, to reverence we give to the Father. And and I think in this day and age we have, we might have lost sight of the Holy Spirit being God. Because we're in this age, aren't we? We're in this age of, of wanting to see fantastic things happen and miracles happen, and by the way, they do. The Holy Spirit does amazing miracles. But the Holy Spirit does miracles based on the work he needs to do. Not on what we want to do. So that was a little caveat. I just want to set that up before we get in now into this power of his spirit and love. Uh, No, I think it was a a neighbor's um, doorbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So let's look at this. The power of his spirit and love, they come together. But what we'll see is it's not necessarily at the same time. They're spoken of in the same set of verses but the Spirit is needed uh, for us to know that what is required to love. So in order to love we need to have the Holy Spirit to tell us, to teach us what love is. So that we do it in the way and the power of how Christ did it. Ephesians 3 verse 16 to 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Uh, What a blessing in those verses that's being written right there. But what we know is that first and foremost, the only way we may be strengthened is through his spirit, the Holy Spirit. That spirit must do a work in our inner beings to transform every action and thought from a selfish act of love to a Christ-centered act of love. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, And therefore the Holy Spirit in whatever order that may come in, overlapping or whatever you want to call it, let me tell you this, that is just the beginning, right? We should know this. This is the beginning of the work of Jesus through his Holy Spirit. And what he'll keep doing through his Spirit is teaching us, how do I act in a Jesus Christ-centered way towards the world, and there are certain limits to that. We don't just let anyone walk over us. We we are strong in Jesus. Not because we're just kind of these mindless people. We are, God's given us reasoning. He's given us a heart. He's given us emotions. He's given us ways to receive, to feel, to know. The Bible, everything we have is right here. From a selfish act to beginning to learn how to do Christ-centered acts. Our strength lies in the fact that the spirit of the risen Christ dwells within us. Our flesh is weak, but our spirit, when we we turn it over to God, is mighty. When we turn over as much as we can our our thoughts and our actions, our hearts, our, our emotions, it becomes mighty in spirit. God will give his strength and empower in the inner person to whoever desires it. But desiring it in the right way. More like Christ, less like me. More like Christ, less like you. The desire not to simply improve ourselves, to change ourselves. But not ourselves are doing it, but Jesus doing it. Oh, you have to be really careful. People just pick these little quotes out and they go, Oh, are you saying you change yourself? You do all the work yourself? I'm not saying that. Through the Holy Spirit, you will be changed. Only through Jesus Christ will you be changed. He will grant our desire to be filled with the Spirit of God if we ask for it. So the inner spiritual person, the Christian, The man and woman should continually grow stronger and stronger with power through his spirit. And only God's spirit can strengthen our spirit. He is the one who energizes. He's the one who revitalizes and empowers us. So where the strength of God increases, sin, rightly, decreases. It's a really basic formula. My Lord, is it powerful? Where the strength of God increases, because I'm desiring His will, sin decreases. There's no room for sin anymore. There's no room for the sin because God is ever, ever more increasing within us through His Holy Spirit, and so sin has to step aside. It has to go. Can't stay in there. Darkness can't stay where light is. And once light is in that place, it won't ever leave. The nearer we come to God, the further we go from sin. But it is no easy thing to do. When the Spirit empowers our lives and Christ is obeyed as our Lord of our hearts, our sins and weaknesses are dealt with over time, as Jesus shows us through his Holy Spirit, and we find ourselves wanting to serve others, wanting to sacrifice for each other and to serve each other. Because Christ's nature continually becomes our own. We continually seek our nature to align with the Lord. In fact, more than align, to be less of ourselves and more of him. So when we continually accept the work of the Holy Spirit correcting us and sanctifying us, that is a continual change, by the way, because of that work, we want to serve him more. Our outward behavior is that Jesus has done all this for me. What does Jesus say I should do? Do what he did. Love one another. Serve one another. Because the time is coming when all that training and all that practice, we're going to need it, church. We're going to need it when Jesus comes back. If we adopt Christ's loving nature, then our outward actions have to imitate Christ's outward actions towards others. 1 John 3, uh, 16 to 19. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And I tried to define that last time, what that, what that meant. You need to be careful, we only ever give our lives to Jesus but we're, we're doing it in serving one another when we lay down our lives. 17 If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I should say, be in that person. Why that word's missing. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. This is the love of Jesus that should surpass anything that we can do in ourselves. The power of Jesus' spirit and love is a continual transforming power that should always leave us wanting more. The work is never done in this life. And here is the warning side of this encouragement. Work out what it means when we work these verses backwards. Without love in action and in truth, as convicted by the love of Jesus, how can the love of God be in us? That's an indictment, and it's a damning indictment on us. Work the verses backwards. means the same thing, by the way. Without love in action and in truth, as convicted by Jesus as we say we are, how can the love of God be in us? And if it's not in us, then we won't do the actions, will we? We won't follow those actions that Jesus has commanded us to do. We won't lay down or give to brothers and sisters who are in need because we will not have the love of God or the understanding of it. And we won't have the spirit of God working all the way back to the beginning in order for us to recognize that need. See, when you sort of undo it all and go backwards, we're left with with exactly what is said in these verses, we're nothing. There's nothing useful in us apart from what Jesus has done. And only then is what we do powerful and useful for the kingdom. It's not the random person you might give money to on the street when we look at need. It's not the charitable work we do to help others but the love between brothers and sisters that is so incredibly different, oh, so more powerful from that which the world offers. John 13 verse 35, but by this everyone will know, you're my disciples if you love one another. This is a challenge, church. I'm telling you, this is a challenge. As more and more people come to learn about Jesus here, we're going to have to learn how to love one another. Those that come and believe in Jesus. That's a whole sermon on its own, by the way. Let's look at this last point, and I think these points bring it together. Um, really interesting. I don't know why, but there's a cat that's just looking straight at me through the door. So interesting. what's to know about Jesus, maybe. Uh he's gone again. He just stood there staring at me through the door. It's so weird. It's so strange. Just <laughs> anyway. Let's move on. The power is uh, preservation, this is called. Um, uh, the instant thing your mind goes to, because we talk about it a lot, is perseverance. We're not talking about perseverance. We're talking about preservation, pres- to preserve. Why do we need to know about these aspects? This is, I think, really helpful. Why do we need to know about the love, the spirit, uh, the resurrection and his grace? Because all these things are what we live for now and for what is to come to honour Jesus and prepare ourselves for what is awaiting us. 1 Peter 1, 1, 3 to 5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you on our way and it's right there waiting for us who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time I said this at the start and I'll come on to it but God is shielding us now wow what are those days going to look like in the last time But right now we have a merciful, forgiving God that has given us a new life into a living hope, only found in Jesus, only found in the resurrection. Peter speaks here of something preserved for us that will never perish, never spoil or fade. What we are to understand about the power of his preservation is that right now and for the rest of our lives, the world will not do or act in the way that God desires it to act or behave. So we as Christians, who see the love of God through his Holy Spirit, also groan with seeing that pain. You see, before you became a believer, I'm going to tell you this, whether you think you've experienced it or not, I'm I'm going to say this for sure, that, of what I I think I know to be true, actually. I never knew the groaning of the pain of this world until I became a Christian. I didn't know the pain that this world was going through until I became a Christian. Do you know why? Because I was part of that pain. I was part of it. I did it because I just wanted to do it. And whatever the consequences, I just did it. Didn't see it. But now, as Christians, it should affect us. As as the quote in Spurgeon said, it should be heavy in heart. We should, oh, this world, please believe in Jesus. Please believe in Jesus. But we know it won't be true. It won't happen that way because many people won't come to Jesus. Many people will reject Jesus. So we experience every act of sin, that represents the birthing pains of what is to come and to be renewed. For us, for for believers in Christ, what is preserved for us, preserved for us, that's what we should be focused on, entirely. Entirely focused on the inheritance that is preserved that is waiting for us you think, well, if we're too busy looking at that, what will happen around us? Won't we take our eyes off it? Look at Paul. Paul went through terrible hardship, terrible pain. But his focus, while still doing the work of Jesus on earth, was on Jesus. It was on what was waiting for him. In fact, he, he almost, in some ways, in a human way, in a very flawed human way, almost begged for death because actually that would have been better. It would have been better for him to be with Jesus and, but then he comes back to the fact, hold on a second, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to be with him anyway. Whether I die now or die later, so whilst I'm here, let me show that no matter what they do, Jesus is Lord and will they know it? They will, they will try to imprison me and kill me. And to my very last breath, as I understand Paul, he will profess the gospel to his dying day. And I believe he did. It is something bigger that is happening when this life aches and creaks in groans of pain. This world is being readied for the day when God the Father, because he's the only one who knows, will send back Jesus one last time. And we are being asked by Jesus to live in that world until he returns. But what has God done to make sure we get there? We are, as the verses say, being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation in the last time. And I'll say this again for the third time because we really need to know, understand what this means. If right now we're being shielded by God's power and we still experience hardship and pain, what must that mean for the pain to come? Revelation showed us that what is to come for those that will have to suffer persecution for Christ. So right now, God uses what we are going through for the day is coming when all that training, all that strengthening will be needed. All of this life happens to us And what will happen in the last days is to remind us that what is preserved for us will not decay like the world. It will not fall apart like the world is doing. But it will be waiting for those who are faithful and true. Here it is now as we close. The promise of our inheritance, that which is preserved, which cannot be moved, cannot be changed, is certain. Because we are kept by the power of God. Always comes back to God. Before we get. We think oh I'm I'm faithful. Seek the Lord. How are you doing that? Because God is doing it. With the power of his spirit. He is doing that. So understanding and knowing the power of his spirit. The power of his love. The power of his grace. The resurrection. What is it there for? It's to enable us to endure through the faith. There is something otherworldly, completely new and completely different waiting for those who believe in Jesus. And how is that used when we want others to come? So we're saying this world is temporary. It's gonna die, it's gonna collapse. As going to end badly for the world. Now, if we know that what's preserved for us is waiting for us, we want others to join you? With a simple act of saying, the one thing you need to do, just believe that Jesus rose again and he died for you. That may take one minute. It may take one year. It may take 10 years. It may take 20 years. But our hope is in what is waiting for us. And we want people to join us. We want people to no longer be condemned by the life that we used to live, that we learn to not live constantly. So all this enables us to endure. And as the verses, many verses have been through today, we need to do that individually, or we need to do it together. Jesus is coming back for his church. Let's pray and then we'll worship together uh, one last time for today.